You are listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Visit us online at rolcf.org. I was uh, impressed to tell you a little bit about our story because of this church. I, I don't know if you realize that this is not a normal church. This is, this is an unusual church for several reasons. Well, that's why the seats are full. I, well, yeah, <laughs> amen. They, I can see them. Absolutely. Uh, you, they won't ever get full unless you see them full, so we see them full. Amen. It's an unusual church in this, and it's unusual in a good way and in the right way. Unusual in that the things that we preach, we actually practice here. You hear, you hear them talk about it in other places, you know, the spirit moving, what it, and you go there and nothing's happening. You come here, I don't know if I've ever been here in a church service where there wasn't a prophetic word. Maybe once, but I, I can't remember that. Nearly every time I've been here in this church, there's been a prophetic word. Do you realize how rare that is in the body of Christ these days? And I came into the world under a prophetic word. I love that. I, I, the day I was born, I was born over in Love County. That's why I'm so loving. <laughs> born over there in Love County, down in a place called Love's Valley. I don't know if you've ever been to Love's Valley, Oklahoma. It's just a little, it's, yeah, a little bitty place. It used to be a schoolhouse down there and a couple of churches, but there's none of that now. It's just farm area down there southeast of Marietta, right on the Red River. And uh, my, uh, my mama's mama lived there. So I was born in the front bedroom of the little bungalow there in uh, Love's Valley, Oklahoma. That morning, I was born at 1 o'clock in the morning, weighing in at 9.5 pounds, so my little mama, 24 years old, did not really feel like getting up that morning going to church. It was a Sunday morning, so she didn't go to church. Well, the f pastor up in town in Thackerville, he figured out that Sybil must have had that baby or is in the throes of having that baby because she wasn't in church, and they were always in church. So that morning, he, or after church, they headed off down into Love's Valley. It was about 15, 17 miles from where the church was down there to it, to that house. And uh, what he didn't know was that my mom and dad had been trying to figure out what they were going to name me, this new baby. My mama wanted to name me Patrick after the doctor, an old Air Force retired doctor by the name of Lawson, Patrick Lawson from Marietta. I don't know if any of you all remember him. But uh, he was the doctor. <clears throat> And my mama, 24 years old, kind of had a crush on him. He was tall and good-looking, you know, and well-mannered and all that, you know. He wasn't like the normal guy from Thackerville. And uh, she, uh, she kind of had a crush on him, wanted to name me after him. Well, now, I'm thankful that I didn't get the name Patrick, and it's a perfectly good name, you understand? But in Thackerville, Oklahoma, back in those days, full of cowboys, and one of the, one of the possible nicknames for Patrick is Patty. You don't want to name a boy Patty from Thackerville. I'm just telling you, that won't work. And, I'm, and maybe Ireland, right? But anyway, uh, my dad wanted to name me John after his uncle John. And my dad had to, had to leave on an emergency that morning because my, my, his dad, my grandfather, had had a wreck down near Louisville. He worked for the railroad and on his way home had a car wreck, so my dad went down to help out with that. And while my dad was gone, after they'd been having this discussion, now for those of you who are of a younger generation, there used to not be such a thing as baby name books. And people didn't know what they were going to have until the baby was born, so they didn't come up with a name. They just normally waited until they got a look at the thing <laughs> before they named it. And uh, so they were discussing that, as I said, and uh, having a bit of a tiff over it. And the man of God walks in, not knowing anything about any of that. Walked in the room, and he said, the Spirit of God came over him. And he said, I just lifted my hand and said, Thou shalt call his name John. And my mother said, How can you? Okay. <laughs> All right. She didn't question that. So I came into this world with, with Holy Ghost credentials, having been named by a prophetic utterance. My life's been full of the prophetic especially being spoken over my life. And, uh, and I, I love coming here because it's refreshing because our church, the church I was raised in, was a strong prophetic church and operated in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And they taught me about faith. They taught me the Word of God. Amen. Didn't teach me everything I needed to know. Pastor Curtis has taught me some. 
And if you stay, if you stay, listen, if you'll stay teachable your whole life, you can learn things your whole life. That's right. Can I have a better amen? If you stay teachable your whole life, you can learn things your whole life. And learning is awesome. You know, I, some folks don't want to learn because they don't want to give up what they already learned. Sometimes you learn things that are really better than what you already knew, but you hold on to what you already knew because what, well, yeah. you know where I'm going with that. So we build denominations to protect what we think is the truth, no matter how the Lord may lead in other directions. Well, it blesses me anyway to be a part of a congregation, Miss Ann and me, to uh, be a part of this church where what we preach is actually practiced when we come together, and I believe in your lives as well. So if you have a Bible, I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Now, on an occasion not too many months ago, I was here, and I shared some things with you concerning Hebrews 9, uh, just a little bit. But I have been studying it, and as you know, uh, it, it takes a while to really mine out the truth of any particular subject. So sometimes we have to go over things more than once. Anybody here ever hear something several times, but you finally heard it after the third or fourth time and really got it? You said, oh my goodness, I got it, I got it, you know, takes a while sometimes. Well, that's, that's the way this, these truths here that we're going to be talking about today are from Hebrews chapter 9. I want to call this message a new day. A new day. I regularly get questions from my students. You all know I'm, an, I'm a professor at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and uh, I often get questions, I should say regularly get questions about various subjects of the Old Testament, various events of the Old Testament. And I answer them simply. I answer them so simply. When they say, well, what about Job? You say that the Lord isn't testing me. I say, well, <laughs> what about Abraham? I say, and all I generally do is on a big whiteboard, I draw a big red cross. And I write Job on the left side, and I write you on the other side. Just in case you haven't figured it out, and I know you have. When Jesus died for your sins, everything changed. Everything changed. God's attitude toward man changed. God's dealings with man changed. The way God speaks to man changed. Everything about our relationship with God changed when Jesus came. And they knew this early on. They knew it was all different. They knew we how we relate to God changed. Everything changed. We used to have to keep rules in order to have any kind of relationship with God. Because we weren't children of God. We were the off-scouring of the earth. Jesus told us what, how God felt about people who weren't in covenant with him. When he talked to the woman who came to him in Matthew chapter 15, and she said, my daughter's dying. Now listen, if you, if you meet a woman who is pleading for her dying daughter, what are you going to say to her? You're going to say, well, where is she? How can we help? Not Jesus. He just says, it's not right to take children's bread and cast it to dogs. Now, this is not Oprah's Jesus, I just want you to know. That when it tips toes through the tulips and loves everybody and passes out flowers. Now, that ain't her, that ain't her Jesus. <laughs> not right to take children's bread and cast it to dogs. My daughter's dying! He's not testing anybody. He's just telling the truth. He had not died for her sins yet. He had not died for anybody's sins yet. He's just fulfilling the law and treating her like she's supposed to be treated. you got to get a hold of this. Because yeah. you never understand the message of grace until you understand that aspect, what we were. And how. Now, how many of you know she got her miracle? Amen. The end of the story is she got her miracle. And she didn't give up on one issue. Jesus said two things. He said them both. One, one account, and Matthew says it one way, and I think it's Mark that says it another way. One account says, Woman, great is your faith. Go your way. You can have what you ask. The other one, he says, For this saying, For this saying, Go your way. You can have what you ask. So he said both of those things then. One account says he said 
one thing. The other account says it said another. They're both true. So he said both things. So what he said was, woman, for talking and expressing your faith this way, for expressing your faith this way. What way did she express her faith? She said, true, Lord. <laughs> Whatever you say is right. Glory to God. When you get that in your mind that whatever God says is right. True, Lord. I'm a dog. But the devil didn't create dogs. That makes me your dog. <laughs> Isn't that kind of what she said? Still your dog. I'm in the house. I get the crumbs. Did Jesus change? And if he said it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, did he change his mind? Mm-mm. 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 He didn't change his mind. Something changed, though. What changed? The moment she was in faith, she stopped being a dog. That's all. He can't change. He's God. Something changed. He didn't change his mind. She had to have changed. And here's the thing. Faith's what changes you. Faith's what changes you. Takes you out of the realm of being a dog to being something worthy of receiving from God. Today, you're here by faith. And that means you are worthy to receive from God. Amen. And then when faith is engaged, the grace of God just comes flooding into you. Give you what you need. Can I have a good amen here? Amen. The grace of God's out there for you. All you got to do is believe for it. Believe for it. Believe Him. Believe His Word that Jesus is right every time. He no longer defines us as dogs because we got in this thing by faith. But we really got in first because of His actions of grace toward us. That's what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. We were dogs. Dogs don't get in the family. We treat them like family members in America. We do. We treat them like God. I mean, they got hospitals for them. There's a cat hospital in McKinney, Texas. I never thought Texans would stoop to that. I just, I just never imagined a cat hospital, a whole hospital for a cat in Texas. They had to be transplants from Southern California. That's all. And I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Who's my brother from Southern California? <laughs> I don't understand it. Have you found Hebrews 9, verse 1? Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. And when he says the first covenant, remember he's talking to the Hebrew people. So as far as they're concerned, the first covenant was the covenant of Moses, the law. So, but notice what it says. He calls it a worldly sanctuary. Yikes. Man, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and when they called you worldly, they meant you were living like the devil. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, he's just worldly. Worldly. Don't be hanging around him. He's worldly. This says that they, what they had was a worldly sanctuary meaning of the world. Wow. This is not elevating Moses all that high. Divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Okay, so the service was divine, but it was a worldly sanctuary. So God's service through worldly means, that's all that's talking about, just as worldly as anything else that's man-made. Just as worldly as a bar, it, but the divine service isn't taking place in that bar. You understand that? The building meant nothing. It was what went on inside it. I went one of the first places I ever traveled to from, from, from this area where I was raised to go outside and preach was a place called Nacogdoches, Texas. And they rented a facility that was a bar on Saturday night. And they'd go in there and sweep it all up on Sunday after the big you know, stuff that went on Saturday night, clean it all up and set up chairs and have church in there on the dance floor. And I preached in that place. 
smelled like smoke, man, it was bad. I mean, you could just still smell everything that, that had been in there that night. Even, you know, the people. But you could, it was all, it was, they called the church Jesus Church. Hallelujah. And we had divine meetings, divine service take place in something like that. Just as worldly as anything. But being a religious legalist makes you just as worldly as a person living in sin. Being a religious legalist makes you just as worldly as somebody who's living in sinful habits. Because you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. You've already been made good enough. You've already been made good enough. Because if you're still trying to be good enough, it just tells you that you're not in faith. You've not, you've not experienced the transformation. But the moment you believe, you've been made good enough. Glory to God. You can lift your hands without trouble. Clap your hands, dance, do anything. You can you, you be in the presence of God, not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of who He made you to be. has nothing to do with worldly. Worldly's always got to arrive there. Worldly's always got to achieve. Worldly's always got to climb the ladder. Always be recognized somehow. Faith just brings you in by the grace of God. Now listen. Verse 2. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. We all know that as the inner court. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Okay? We all know that as the what? Who knows what that is? The holy of holies. Now let's just get this, let's just set it up here. What he's just described to us is the outer court. We're going to say that's the foyer. And the inner court, which he called the what? What do we call this room? The sanctuary. That's what they called it. The holy place. But then there's this place back here behind the veil. We'll call the pulpit area here that. What do they call that? The holy of holies. That's a, that outer court was not considered a holy place, but it was still part of the tabernacle, the dwelling of God. This was the holy place, the sanctuary, and then the holy of holies. And it had this thick, heavy curtain. Three tiers of worship, levels of worship they went through in order to have some kind of relationship with God. The Holy of Holies. And it said, In that Holy of Holies, which, is, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot. There's so much to be said for that. Your, your pastor will one day teach you on what it, the, that the Ark was made of wood, but overlaid with gold, humanity in, in uh, or divinity in human form. Overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Aaron's rod that budded, the pot that had the manna, and the tables of the covenant. All of these are representations of the Word of God. All three of these are nothing but representations of the Word of God. Jesus said, He was the bread that came down from heaven. Meaning, that the Word of God Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. All right, hallelujah. So Jesus himself, the Bible says in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, that he was the word. So that bread really represents the word in the Son of God himself. Aaron's rod that budded, that represents your pastor bringing the word to you. The keruso, the rhema, the kerugma, it says in the Greek. These are all words for preaching. The one who, who's continually with the service. The elders who teach and preach the word of God to you. That's what Aaron's rod budding. The authority that he, that he, that he had with that, that, that budded rod. And then of course the tables of the covenant. That to us represents our scriptures. Just our scriptures. Three manifestations of the word of God. First and most importantly Jesus. Secondly the preacher. And thirdly the Bible. 
God wanted you to, have, to, to know what His will was. He wanted you to know His voice. He wanted you to be, to, to be inundated, have all kinds of ways where the Word of God came to you. And you need to hear it from the man of God. You do need to hear it from those in authority over you because there's something powerful about that. The Bible does not say that faith comes by reading the Bible. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God, but not just any Word of God. You're not going to get faith by hearing Leviticus preached. You're not. You, you, you're going to, you, by hearing the Gospel. And as Pastor teaches out of Romans chapter 10, hearing the Gospel of peace. You have to hear the real Gospel in order for faith to come. Because you can hear what's called the Word of God preached, and it's not the Word of God at all. Remember, I've, heard, I, I've, been I've been teaching this for many years, and I've had lots of pastors who heard me teach this, because I preach to preachers a lot, and come up and say, but Pastor John, we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Okay, what does that mean to you? Well, you've got to preach the whole Bible, it all applies. No, don't be silly. That whole counsel of God is one place. You're quoting somebody. Who are you quoting there? And they never know. Do you all know who they're quoting? They're quoting the Apostle Paul. And he said, I am teaching you and have taught you the whole counsel of God. So all the counsel of God that a Gentile needs is in what Paul taught you. That's the whole counsel. That's all God's saying today. You need to find yourself lost in the letters of the Apostle Paul. Because this is the whole counsel of God. You missed a real good opportunity to shout yes. You're right. Okay? The Apostle Paul had it. Now, he quoted from all kinds of places. And the Apostle Paul did teach us that we can have the, everything that's ever promised anywhere in the entire Bible. Every promise God ever made. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For our word to you was not yes and no. Maybe no. Our word to you was yes and amen. Then he says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. If God made a promise to Moses, that's your promise. If God made a promise to Abraham, that's your promise. If God made a promise to David, that's your promise. If God made a promise to anybody in the Bible, it's your promise. Any promise you ever knew that God made to somebody, that's your promise and you can take it by faith. Amen. 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 He doesn't take a thing. That's why you need to read the whole Bible. That's why you need to know the whole Bible. It's good to, to cause just get in there and start mining it out. You have to dig around. And find, oh, look at this. He promised he made to them. It's my promise too. <laughs> now here's the thing. Oftentimes there are conditions on the Old Testament promises. If you'll do this, I'll do that. Ladies and gentlemen, the conditions have all been met. They've all been met. <laughs> Glory to God. All the conditions except for one have all been met. I said except for one. You know what the one condition is? It's not really even a condition. You just believe it. You believe it. Not going to happen if you won't believe it. But you believe it because the, the real word that carries the faith to come. When you hear the message, faith is in the message. Faith is in the word. that It will come to you and it will open your heart. You say, man, I can believe that. I can believe that I could never be bothered with this cancer again. I can walk out of this thing. When I go back to that doctor, I'm getting a clean report, and I don't care what he says. Even if he doesn't agree with the report God made, I believe the report of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I believe my house is paid for. Amen. My, my car is a blessed car because it's my car. It didn't get blessed all on its own. It wasn't blessed in that dealership, but when I got it, it became a blessing. Amen. It was blessed by God because I, I carry this blessing in me. Amen. Not that I'm anybody. You understand that? We don't think we're, we're you're not blessed because you, your, your last name is Smell Fungus. You're, 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 you're blessed because you're born again. Amen. My name's Sister Smell Fungus, and I'm here to straighten out this church. No, Sister Smell Fungus, that don't make you able to straighten out the church. My daddy was a Smell Fungus, and his daddy before him. No, it doesn't make any, that, that's not how this works. You're blessed because of one name, all right, but not your name. Amen. We're blessed because of the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. It had all that, 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 in that presence of God was all of these manifestations of the Word of God. See, what the Lord wants you to know is what He's saying. 
Oh, people just say, ha, if I just knew the will of God. Hey, hello. Is it not abundantly manifested to you? <laughs> you got a Bible, you got a preacher, you got, you got Jesus. What do you need? You, then you got the Holy Ghost translating all of it here, and he lives on the inside. This is what that means. This is what that means. Everybody can know the will of God and should know the will of God. God's will is revealed in what he says and what he promises. The problem is it all gets so convoluted because we've heard so much stupid, stinking preaching. All right. Not here in this church, but I mean, you know. Verse 4, which had the golden pot. Now, I already, already talked about that. Verse 5, And over it the cherubim of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. But I, would, I do want to speak a little bit particular about it. May I? Yeah. Did you notice there were two angels there? Not three. Now all through the scriptures you find that there were three big angels. There were three. Cherubim. Cherub angels. Now cherubs and angels are different in, in some respect. But, they, but when you see a cherub it's, it's making a statement to you. And we do know. We do know that in glory... They look differently than when they come to us. Most of the time they come to us looking like men. Angels. Messengers. But it, did you know your pastor's called an angel? Amen. <laughs> yeah, his mother, his mother called him her little angel. No. Uh, in, 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 in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it says, write this. He who is the first and the last, write to the angel of Ephesus. The angel of Sardis, the angel of Smyrna, the angel of Thyatira, the angel, the angel. Well, that, John can't write a letter to angels as far as cherubim angels, but he can write a letter to a messenger, can't he? That's actually defining the, speak, the speaker, the spokesman, the person who was at that time. The, the pastoral ministry had just begun to be developed where pastors were leading the church. They weren't in, in Paul's day as much. They were, it was developing, but Paul was the leader because he was the pastor. I mean, he was the apostle. He was establishing all these churches and the pastoral ministry was just getting established toward the end of the first century. And so, so much so that Jesus recognized them and called them the messenger. That's why your pastor comes. He doesn't just say, I'm going to teach you something today. He generally comes and calls what he's delivering is a message. A message. I'm giving you a message today. Praise God. But over that mercy seat, there were just two, not three. There were three that are named in the scriptures. Anybody know their names? Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. <laughs> Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. You see who's not there in the presence of God? Okay. Two angels. He had been, but not there when this thing is made. Two. Overshadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Look who's not there. Verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the, uh, the service of God. Moses' tabernacle was really the first tabernacle. There came one after Moses. Anybody know what the, the tabernacle after Moses was? Anybody know what? There was another tabernacle. went by another name. The first one was Moses' tabernacle. There was a second one. David's tabernacle. And David's tabernacle didn't look anything like this one. Outer court, inner court, holy of holy. It didn't have that. It just had one gigantic room. They carried the presence of God in, set it out in the middle of the room, and there was no protocol. There was no protocol at all. They all just came in. Oh, there's God. There's the presence of God right there. Look at this. And for 40 years, they just came in and worshipped God. All of God's people just came in. They just came in and worshipped the Lord. They all, right in the very presence. Their one room was as holy as the Holy of Holies was. Powerful. 
Why would he do that? Why would he right in the middle? And then at the end, at David's death, Solomon comes along. Solomon starts building the temple. They have Solomon's temple. And they go right back to worshiping the way they did in the tabernacle of David. And it was the will of God. Some will try to tell you that wasn't the will of God. It's perfectly the will of God. Absolutely the will of God. God blessed David because he said he wanted to build God a house. He said, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make you. You want to build me a house? Well, I'm going to build you a house. It was a reciprocating covenant God made with him. That his seed, that's the first time we see it, first time we hear it, that when David told God he wanted to build him a house, that is the temple of Solomon, God said, I'm going to make your, your descendants king forever. That's when we found out that David was going to be the actual progenitor of Jesus. And all through Jesus' ministry and his earthly life, they kept calling him the son of who? David. Son of David. Kept calling him son of David. Didn't call him the son of Solomon. Didn't call him, mm -mm. He's the son of David. Is this powerful? Does he sit on the throne forever? Yes, he does. Amen. Son of David sits on the throne of glory forever. Amen. 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 And it happened when David said, I want to build God a house. God said, great. Blessed him for it. He said, I never even told anybody. And you just come up with this on your own. You want to do something like this. Temple of, or Tabernacle of David, uh, Moses, Tabernacle of Moses, Tabernacle of David, Temple of Solomon. Well, Tabernacle of David, why? You know, it's really just talked about two other times in the Bible after it says that David built this tabernacle. One of them is in the book of Amos, Amos 9-11. Huh? I will rebuild. And then we find the fulfillment of it in Scripture in Acts chapter 15. Let's go to Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Whew. Glory to God. Glory to God. Acts chapter 15. They just suspend all of the rites and rituals of, of the tabernacle. Acts chapter 15, this is the very first council of the church. This is when the New Testament church comes together and decides what we're going to believe about how a per person is made justified or made righteous, or that is, saved. How many of you think this might just be an important discussion for the, for the church leaders to get this one straight? It's kind of important. I mean, you, whether you use wine or grape juice in your communion, I guess that's up for debate. But whether or not you have, what you have to do to go to heaven, that really kind of is a straight line. That's a real strict rule. There's just one way. Can't be a whole bunch of ways. Or again, we'd be talking about Oprah's Jesus. But in the, in the Bible, there's just one way a person is made righteous. And they have to determine that. A certain, then certain men uh, came down from Judea, taught the brethren, saying, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. Next, we're going to keep reading on. Uh, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and the other, to, unto the other apostles and elders about this question. All right? And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Everybody was liking this. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Verse 5, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Washington Redskins, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Oh, of course. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. Now, let's read on. And when there had been much disputing, how many of you know when a bunch of religious Jews get together, when they say much disputing, that's the understatement of the century. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now he's referring to Acts chapter 10 when the very first Gentile, uncircumcised Gentile by the name of Cornelius, uh, leader of a bunch of Italians, uh, he, he, was, uh, he, he was called the leader of an Italian band. They were, they, were, they were centurions and officers with the Roman government. 
Okay? And the Lord sent him by virtue of miraculous uh, revelation, sent him to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel. He refers to this moment. Now let me ask you something. We have Peter on the scene. We have Paul on the scene. We have the other apostles and Barnabas on the scene. I don't think we need anybody else's opinion. We're just going to take the opinion that came out of this setting. That's, that's good enough. Just hear what the opinion that came out of this moment was about how a person is saved. And when there had been much disputing. And God, which knows the hearts, the Apostle Peter says, bear them witness. What? Bear witness of their hearts, giving them the Holy Ghost as He did, even as He did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts because they kept the law. No, I read that wrong, didn't I? They purified their hearts how? By God having faith or them having faith? Them having faith. He purified, it's a little bit of God having faith too. But it's purifying their hearts by what they believed. We back this up by if you go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. Real quick, we're going to come back to, to Acts 15. But just to make sure that we're not trying to make, make the Bible say something it doesn't say. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 says, To him, the apostle Peter, preaching that very message to Cornelius, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever... This is nothing but pistuo. It is the Greek word, the verb form of the word pistis, which is faith. Pistis is translated faith in the English language. Pistua is translated believes in the English language. You understand this? Same word, only the verb form of it. And what I mean by that is, somebody would say he took a gun and shot him down. Gun is what? Noun. But you could also say he gunned him down. Now what is gun? It's a verb. That's all they do here. That through his name, whosoever guns him down, I mean believes in him, shall receive the remission of sins. Whoever does what? Believes shall receive the remission of sins. And verse 44 says, this is what Peter's referring to, while Peter yet spoke those words, those words, believe on Jesus, while he was still saying those words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard that word. Glory be to God. Now back to Acts chapter 15. This is good stuff right here, man. Make you want to do the curly shuffle. Amen. Whoop, 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 whoop. All right. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? What? What? To tell somebody they have to keep the law? To, to be saved is tempting God? To act like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this, you got that's tempting God? I wish every religious person in Durant, Oklahoma would listen to this message today. You think you're helping God. You think you're helping Him live holy. You think you're fixing things so that they won't offend God and His reputation, but all you're doing is tempting God. to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. He didn't say we wouldn't do it. He said they couldn't do it. But they went around acting like they were doing it. See, every legalist in the world is a liar. Every legalist in the world is a hypocrite. They want everybody else to toe the line like they say, but they don't do it themselves. Whited walls. Is that baby? Hey, I preach alone, kid. That's a good looking baby right there. Which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Read on. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. What? Here's the Apostle Peter speaking for the Jews. We really believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be saved the same way they were. We need to quit trying to make them get saved like we did, and let's get saved like them. Can I have a good amen here? Okay, verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence. I'll bet. 
He told them they were tempting God. I bet their opinions fell that day. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Paul and Barnabas declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James, not James the apostle, not James the less, this is James the Lord's brother, not one of the original 12, James the Lord's brother, because James the original apostle, as in Peter, James, and John, that James has already given his life for the gospel in chapter 12. James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, or, or Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, a people for his name out of the Gentiles. A, everybody say, a people for his name out of the Gentiles. After this I will return and build again. There you are, that's you. That's you. Just walk into the presence of God like you belong there. Glory to God. Just walk into the presence of God like you belong there. Not just in worship, but with your life. But Pastor, you don't know. You don't know what I said when I got in my car today. I let those words come out of my mouth. I was so mad at my boss. They're stupid. And I said more than stupid. Come on, no looks of religious. You know what I'm talking about. I wanted to kill him. Did. I mean, I, and I just feel so guilty about it. And of course you feel guilty about it. There's a devil out there that heard you say it. And he knew about your religious upbringing. He did. He, he, knows, he knows all about that. He, he went to church with you every time you went. <laughs> he knows the struggles you have and the way you think. And so if you do anything, especially anything that comes out of your mouth, it shouldn't come out of your mouth, or you look at something you shouldn't be looking at, he's watching all that. So he's going to run to you and go, what kind of Christian are you? Saved people don't act that way. John Holler wouldn't do that. <laughs> Miss Joy wouldn't do that. Miss Joy wouldn't do that. She's, she's holy. Look at, look at you. You're not acting like a Christian. You can't, you, you're not a, Christians act like Christians. You're not a real Christian. See, that devil's talked to me too. I know, I know what he says to you. And all that lies. And all the while on the inside, the Holy Ghost is saying, Lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. You're going, Me? I can't lift Jesus higher. I feel like crawling under a rock. <laughs> lift Jesus higher. Why, why are you so upset? Well, I just did something terrible. I just said a bad word, and I meant it. I still mean it. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt good. Kind of want to do it again. <laughs> but the jerk ain't dead yet. <laughs> hmm? Lift Jesus high. Yeah. What's the J O Y? Just. Huh? J O Y. Just offer yourself. Just offer yourself. See, an offering's already been made for you. That offering wasn't made for you so that you'd feel condemned for not living up to it. That was not why he made his offering. He did not make his offering for your sins so that you would feel condemned when you didn't measure up. That was not the purpose of him dying for you. It says he died and took away sins. I said he died and took away sins. Did he die yesterday or after you sinned? So when did he take away sins? Something like 2,000 years ago before any of you were born. I'm going to say it one more time. He took away all the possible sins that could ever be connected with you in any way 2,000 years before you were ever born. Wow. And I get off scot-free. Yes, you do. You finally understand. You finally understand. The moment you believe it, this is what the good news is. The Apostle Paul would preach this message so hard, he would even hear himself saying it. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter, uh, yeah, 5 and 
5, 6, and 7, and 8. He'd preach a message so hard, Brother Frank, that he'd say, uh, I know what you're thinking. If it's like that, then let us sin that grace may abound. If you don't preach it like that, then you're not preaching it right. If the next question in the hearer's mind isn't, well, that sounds like we ought to sin that grace may abound. If that's not the, if that's not the question or the, the thought you get from hearing this message, I didn't preach it right. Because that's what they thought when Paul preached it. And my answer is the same as Paul's. God forbid. That's not the point. The point is you get off sin thinking. You get off that and get on to righteousness thinking. My kids did dumb things. I never, ever once ever punished them for doing something wrong. Not even once. And I raised three preachers, all in love with God, all that love their children. They haven't had the heartbreak of divorce. They, don't, they, they pay their bills. They vote Republican. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but they do vote. Vote however you want to, I don't care. They live godly, decent, wholesome lives. You understand this? And I never once ever punished them. I would sometimes beat their rear end so hard I, they thought their pants were going to fall off. But I wasn't punishing them for what they did. I was disciplining for their future. I wasn't trying to pay them back for what they did. It's done. They're my children. If somebody else started telling me how bad my kids were, I'm going to punch them in the nose or my kids shut up. They don't have to do a thing to be in right graces with me. They're my children. I said they don't have to be a, do a thing to be in my right graces because they're my kids. I birthed them. I brought them into this world. You didn't save yourself. God brought you into this thing. God birthed you into his family. You're always in his right graces. You don't have to do a thing to get him to love you. You don't have to do a thing to get him to, to defend you. He's on your side. Now you might get disciplined for your future. <laughs> and it feels like punishment, but that's only because there's a devil telling you, yeah, see, God's getting you, he hates you, and all that stuff. This happened because you did that. Like Jesus didn't. He's always attacking this full covenant of grace that Jesus bought and paid for. He's always attacking the price Christ paid. They're always trying to diminish the blood. Are you getting anything out of this message today? It's going to set you free. Not to sin. It's going to set you free to not even think about sin. Walk in the integrity of what's really inside you. Ann's got a grandson. He's my grandson too. But he doesn't realize he's kin to me. He knows he's related to her. He's still, in, still young enough that he's very woman conscious. Flirts with every woman that walks in the room. He goes and smiling and making faces, you know, and all that. And cooing. He's going to turn to his daddy here in a few months. They said along about 18 months, they get real man-oriented, you know, and he's a little guy. He's just a precious kid. Maxwell Tate Miller. Our daughter's boy. But she'll have him there at the house. And he'll start to go someplace, you know, toddling around to an area she doesn't want him. And she'll say, Maxwell, no. And he'll look at her and he'll think about it. Now, it was no big deal before. No big deal. But the moment that law came, it said, no. All of a sudden, he can't stop thinking about what might be back there. <laughs> she said, now he'll walk that direction. It's kind of back there behind the couch. He'll stop and look over at her. <laughs> Sneak in there if he can. <laughs> he knows there's a law that says, no. Just got to do it. Just got to do it. It's in his name. He's born that way. Born that way. I said he was born. Yes. 
with a tendency to sin. It's why we have to keep preaching these things to you. Because we're born with that. Keep preaching these things to you to get you to identify with your second birth. And not your first one. Your first one made you sin conscious. The second one gives you the right to be righteousness conscious. Stop thinking about right and wrong. And just walk in the Spirit. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Can I have a good amen? amen. All right, I'm nearly done. But into the second with the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The high priest existed for one primary reason. I want you to hear this. The high priest existed for one primary reason, that is to deal with the errors of God's people. Romans 5.10 says so. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The high priest exists for one reason, to deal with the errors of God's people. Do you know that Jesus is not seated at the right hand of the Father today, acting as a high priest for the world? He's seated at the right hand of the Father today, dealing with your errors. That's the reason why He's called our high priest. He's there today on your behalf, constantly dealing with God concerning that blood that was shed and appropriating it on a continual basis for your errors. Now, how many of you have committed an error or two since you've been saved? Come on, let's be honest. Let's be, yeah, I've committed one or two. Two, I think, right, baby? <laughs> She's thinking today. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's there, to deal with the errors of God's people. He was on the cross. He was a savior for the whole world. But on the throne, he's a high priest for the believer only. Because a high priest doesn't act as a high priest for those who are not in the covenant. You understand this? When Aaron slew the, the lamb, did that forgive the sins of the Canaanites? No. Philistines died like animals. <laughs> they died like animals under the hand of Israel. Why? And, and Aaron's going in there and offering that blood every year? I, I, offering it seven times a year at least, but I mean that one big time. It never, it never helped the Canaanites at all. They all died like animals. And they were dogs. <laughs> you hear me? He is there for you. He is there for you. And friend, you can talk to Jesus about anything. He really wants to talk to you. And He does not want the very first thing you say to be, oh, forgive me, Lord, I'm not worthy to come into your presence. That is so religious, that is so pharisaical, it's not biblical for you to come to him that way. Huh? Stinky. The Bible says you come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy. Really? You come boldly in need of mercy? You only get mercy when you don't deserve it. If you deserve it, you can't call it mercy. You've got to call it payment. So here comes an undeserving guy, boldly. See, we don't know the difference between faith and arrogance. We'd call that arrogant. Who's his arrogance? I, I saw him. I saw him smoking that cigarette before he came in the building. <laughs> and then he just comes down there and raises his hands like he loves God. Religious people can't, spell, can't say God, G-O-D. They spell it G-A-W-D. God. <laughs> That's at first church. Am I wrong? No. Come boldly. Here's how Jesus taught it. Our Father which art in heaven. Now we know that this was really a, a, a prayer for disciples to pray before he died. But there's elements of it that are really powerful and I want you to hear them. Our Father which art in heaven. The Father parts for you which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. Is he teaching his disciples to pray about real important things up front? About the kingdom? About the will of God being done in the earth? Is this big stuff or not? It's big stuff. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, now you can even ask for things. Our daily bread. What's the next one? And forgive us. What's that doing so deep in that prayer? Jesus teaching his disciples not to pray about their sin condition first. Call him Father, because he still calls you son. I said, call him Father because he still calls you son. Now, the devil's told you you lost your salvation, but that's not what God's thinking. That's, that's good right there, is it? That was even before Calvary. Our Father, pray about the kingdom, ask for stuff. Right? And if you got sin, then we talk about your sin. Forgive us our trespass. Before the cross. Was God a God of grace to those in covenant with Him or not? He always has been. Those who walk in faith and do what He said, just come boldly. Because if you come boldly, you are saying by faith, I'm not here on my own merits. I'm not here on my own merits. I'm here on the merits of Jesus. I'm here as though Jesus was standing in my shoes asking the Father for something. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's it. I mean, even though he gets his prayers answered. He gets his prayers answered. Well, what do I do about these habits I've got? Get you an accountability partner. Confess your faults one to another. Find you somebody to talk to about that and let them hold you accountable. You understand this? Well, I got habits. I got sins. I got junk. I need to deal. Yeah, you do. Grace is going to teach you. And the strongest way for grace to teach you is to bring somebody else of, of accountability into your life so you can overcome these things. These are little demonic things that, 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 that hinder the people of God from having boldness. You're getting the grace message. You're getting faith message. You're getting a righteousness message. You're getting it. You're getting all that you need, I think. Maybe not all of it, but you're getting, you're getting as, much as, as much as any one church can stand. You've got issues and habits that you want to get done. Find you a friend. Say, but I need you to help me. Because it's in the scriptures that we should confess our faults one to another. Not running out there and calling myself a sinner all the time. Oh, Lord, you know we're not worthy. We're just sinners. I talked to a guy yesterday. He said, I can't understand. I'm going to this church. He said, and the poor guy, he's a good guy, young guy. And he says, and every time he prays, oh, God, you know we're just sinners. You know we're just bad. Dang, lead him to Jesus. <laughs> he's the pastor. He should be saved. You getting anything out of this? Well, I am. Verse 9, which was a figure for the time when present in which we were, were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. Talking about that old way as pertaining to the conscience. Do you know what he's saying, what he's implying here? That the old sacrifices could never make a man perfect. What's it saying about the new sacrifice, Pastor? He's implying that the new sacrifice does make you perfect. It does make you perfect. I want you to look somebody in the eye. The person you think, no, I was going to say the person you think least likely to be perfect, that wouldn't be good. Start a war in this church. Just look at the person next to you and say, you are perfect. Say it. You are perfect. If you're a believer in Jesus, Brother Frank, you are perfect. Now, it's not hard for this church to believe that you're perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not hard. You are perfect. How come we always go around saying, well, nobody's perfect? <laughs> Why do we talk like that? in direct contradiction to what the Scriptures teach us about what, what the blood of Jesus accomplished. Well, nobody's perfect, Pastor. Really? I am. <laughs> I am. Who, you think you're Jesus? No. No. 
I do have to think about that because He is living inside me. I live the Christ life. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by how I acted, then Christ died for nothing. You are who you are now with a new identity to believe. You'll never act like you're perfect until you believe you are perfect. And you'll never believe you are perfect until you stop saying, nobody's perfect. <laughs> this is what sin consciousness does to us. It goofs up the way we talk. Therefore, it goofs up the way we live. Whew. Come on, tell two people, you really are perfect. Yeah. Whitney, was that tough looking at him telling you he's perfect? Yeah. I, th I, think, I think she crossed her fingers, Israel. I think, I think she... <laughs> I want to get to the end of this and I'm finished. I'm going to skip past a whole bunch of what I had here today, but I want to say to you, verse 23 says, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens, the patterns he called that stuff in the tabernacle of Moses, the patterns of the things in heaven, in the heavens, should be purified with these. So everything in the, in the tabernacle of Moses, verse 23, is talking about that it, all those articles in there were purified by the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. You understand that? With the purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Did it just say that the heavenly things were purified? <laughs> yes, it did. It said that the heavenly things were purified. Well, I thought heaven was perfect. Everybody always says, always says heaven was perfect. How can heaven be purified? A clean hand doesn't need to be washed again. It's already clean. How can heaven be purified by something, some sacrifice? Oh. He's making a powerful point here of just how holy and just how clean and just how perfect the blood of Jesus is. That when it arrived back in heaven and was put on the mercy seat and sprinkled on all the articles of the real stuff that's in heaven, it even made heaven better. <clears throat> if it can make a difference. See, there are certain whites. You can put white on white if you've got something really white, I don't know about you ladies, but do you ever see the commercial on television where they bleach things and they put those white socks out there and you go, wow, that's dazzling white. But then their product, put their, their, their sock from their, their, their product out beside that one and the other one looks dingy now because the white was really, 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 really white. The other one was just real white. This one's really, really white. And I got a feeling that somewhere there's a whiter white than that white. And every white can be made whiter. Are you following this? When you're standing in heaven, everything looks perfect and wonderful and completely pure. Then the blood of Jesus arrives. And everybody, wow! It even made heaven better. Wow, look how shiny everything is now. But if you apply that same kind of cleansing power to something that really looks dirty... If it will work to purify heaven, imagine what it has done for you. Imagine what you look like to God. Purifying their hearts by faith. The faith that you put in Jesus, some of you, how many of you were saved as a kid? How old were you? 
12 years old, been walking around with this purified heart. Will you, did you raise your hand? Yep, 10 years old. Joy? Eight years old. We're going to get on back to two. Anybody, anybody younger than eight when you were saved? You're four, Whitney? Tori's three and saved? And you were four when you got saved. Man, oh man, did they have to talk you out of a reckless life? Oh, she lived such a reckless life. Stole two cookies a day for four solid years. <laughs> but the blood of Jesus purified you white as snow. Four years old. You may be 44, 74, 104. The blood of Jesus will still work for you. Has already worked for most of you. Most of you here are saved. It's already worked for you. You've got to get this down, not as a religious fact, not in some point of arrogance, but a full understanding of who you are. Because when you know who you are, you'll act like that. That's it. You'll act like that. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this church. It's so meaningful to Miss Ann and me, and this pastor, and his darling wife that's so meaningful to us. Thank you for the revelation that flows in this house. And thank you for the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ will flow into these families, precious families, husbands and wives sitting here with their children. Thank you, Lord, for the growth of this congregation and for the many who've come to know you here and for the others who've come to know you better. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great love for us. And I'm asking now, Lord, that that revelation will take hold. The words of this message will take hold deep into our hearts and cause it to bring forth fruit unto righteousness in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 Bless you, folks.